said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall save, uh, you shall save this. The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, And why are you untying the colt? And then said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road as he drew near. Already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of, the, of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God, God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they have seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory on and, and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples, and he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on that on this day that things that uh, the things that make for peace, I don't, yeah, for peace. But now, but now they are hidden from from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and to tear you to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. After three days Guests, like fish, begin to smell. Now, obviously, we're going to take a little break from our study through Second Timothy, and we're going to talk about the events of Palm Sunday, and then throughout the course of this week, we'll reflect upon Jesus' final week, and then on Sunday, we'll gather again, and we'll celebrate the resurrection. So this week, I invite you to join us on our Sunday through Holy Week, during my morning, uh, my morning meditations at 9 a.m. on YouTube, we'll be journeying with Jesus, and so we'd love to have you join us there. Again, as Kevin shared with you, on Thursday night at 6.30, we'll have our regular Monday Thursday service right here. And on Friday, instead of a morning meditation, I'm going to have an evening meditation on YouTube, and it will be at 6 p.m. You're welcome to join me. It will be a good Friday meditation. And then Sunday, obviously, the sunrise service up on Daddy at 6 a.m., our regular service right here at 10 a.m. This week, we're journeying with Jesus as he goes to the cross, as he moves through Jerusalem, through to his death, but not does not stay there. 
Rather, we will come together next week and celebrate that Christ is risen. There you go. That's your warm-up for next week. But for today, we're starting with Benjamin Franklin. Guests like fish begin to smell after three days. You know, house guests, even if they begin as welcome guests, after long enough, they can become unwelcome visitors. And friends, that's what we see happen to Jesus in this passage. You know, today we're celebrating what we call Palm Sunday. Jesus triumphantly enters Jerusalem. He's hailed as Savior and Deliverer. Hosanna, as I was asked earlier this morning, Hosanna means save us. The people celebrated His coming. They welcomed His coming. But a few days later, like fish, it seems He began to stink. He became a stench to the religious leaders and to the politicians. So much so that they were ready to forcefully and violently eject this visitor. And they sought to permanently evict Him from not just Jerusalem, but from this world. You know, for much of the second half of Luke's Gospel, which is what Uh, what Lee and the girls read for us today, Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem for the second half of this gospel because Jerusalem is ultimately where his destiny lies. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on his way to his destiny, on his way to his death. So today's account, today's account really marks the beginning of the end. It's the beginning of the end, the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. And this narrative is traditionally known as the triumphal entry. Uh, You know, the triumphal entry, interestingly, is one of the few events that we find recorded in all four of the Gospels. It emphasizes just how important what Jesus does here today is to understanding who Jesus is. Now, considering the importance given to the account, we should probably ask an important question. If this is reported in all four Gospels, if this is such an important account, why is it that more than half of the account is dedicated to a donkey? You know, Jesus clearly, from the text, prearranged his ride into Jerusalem. He sends his disciples with some very detailed instructions on where and how to pick up the donkey. And so the donkey ends up really front and center in this narrative. But why? You know, like we've talked about actually on past on past Palm Sundays, this donkey is important because it's more than a donkey. Friends, this is a Trojan donkey. You know, just as the Trojan horse arrived at Troy and it was far more than it appeared, so this donkey has shown up laden with meaning and it's ready to infiltrate the hearts and minds of those who are willing to see. You see, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day, those who witnessed it would have recalled another king who rode into Jerusalem on his way to be crowned, rode in on a donkey so long ago. You see, when King David was old, and when he was near death, and it was time for his son Solomon to be crowned as the king of Israel, 1 Kings chapter 1 records how that happened. It says, And the king, meaning David, said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule." Bring him down to Gihon and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. You shall then come up after him and he shall come and sit on my throne. For he shall be king in my place. 
I've appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. You see, Solomon rode on David's own donkey that day as he was about to be enthroned as the king of Israel. And more than that, if we study the text closely, we find that Jesus entered into Jerusalem on the donkey the exact same path that Solomon entered Jerusalem on the day that he was to be crowned as king. So, friends, this was no average donkey. But to those who were viewing, this was a Trojan donkey. It was laden with meaning. It was really a royal parable. Jesus was enacting. He was living out a parable. And in doing so, he was making a royal claim to the throne of Israel. You know, in fact, his entrance in the enthronement of Solomon, when Solomon was entered Jerusalem as enthroned so long ago, it gave rise to a prophecy by the prophet Zechariah. See, the prophet Zechariah, he was inspired by the Lord to foretell the coming of a future king, of a Messiah. And Zechariah spoke of one who would come in the same way that Solomon came to claim the throne of Israel. So in Zechariah chapter 9, we hear quoted actually by Matthew chapter 21. In Matthew 21, Matthew says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king's coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So Zechariah was inspired by God, and, and through the Lord's inspiration, he foresees another king. A greater king is going to come, one even greater than Solomon. He, too, is going to enter into Jerusalem. He, too, is going to ride on a donkey, and he, too, will be the Lord's anointed. And friends, anointed, the anointed one in Hebrew is Mashiach, which is where we get our word Messiah. Zechariah foresaw an anointed one. A Messiah would come, riding on the donkey just as Solomon did. And that one would be anointed as the Messiah the true and everlasting King of Israel. And when we read the rest of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 9, we find that that king was going to bring peace. Not just peace to Jerusalem, but peace to all the nations. And ultimately, at the end of his prophecy, in Zechariah 9, verse 11, he makes a stunning statement. Zechariah 9, 11, Because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set prisoners free from the waterless pit. That, that's how the end of this prophecy of this king closes. It, somehow it's an incredible statement because it says that the king who's coming is going to be able to rescue and rescue in an amazing way. Now, to those who first heard Zechariah's prophecy, they would have heard, oh, the Lord's going to return them from the Babylonian exile. He's going to bring them back. In way of regularly referring to Sheol, the grave, the place of the dead. Zechariah seems to be implying here that a king's going to come. He's going to ride into Jerusalem the same way Solomon did. And when he comes in, he has the power to rescue people from the grave. Somehow this king is going to be able to release them. And how? It says right there, by the blood of a covenant. By the blood of a covenant. So friends, this entrance into Jerusalem is no ordinary entrance. This is a Trojan donkey laden with meaning. And it's all fulfilling the Lord's promises to send a king, uh, an anointed one, one who will reign over Israel eternally, one who will bring true and eternal peace. And he'll do so by a covenant of blood.
Friends, covenants establish relationships. When we read throughout the Old Testament, covenants established relationships. And there was always the shedding of blood. The blood of an animal was shed. A meal was shared. And a relationship was born. This king has come and he's not going to sacrifice an animal. It won't be the blood of an animal that is shed so that a relationship can be established. This king came to shed his own blood. And so it is that on Monday, Thursday, as we're going to celebrate in just a few days, Matthew 26, verses 27 through 28, Jesus took a cup and we've given thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Church, this is the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus rode into Jerusalem to die so that he could shed his own blood so that our sins might be forgiven, so prisoners might be set free from sin and death, so that a new covenant, a new relationship might be established and we might have peace with God. And isn't that exactly what we hear Jesus' disciples chanting as he entered Jerusalem that day? As Leah and the girls read for us, Luke 19, verse 38, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Isn't that what the angels declared at Jesus' birth in Luke chapter 2, verse 14? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. So to the glory of God the Father, Jesus has come from heaven to earth to bring peace between heaven and earth. He has come to establish a relationship, to heal the brokenness between heaven and earth, to reconcile humanity with God, to establish a new relationship by His blood. Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day to be our King of Peace. And that's reason for great celebration. And for that reason, many people welcomed him. The problem is, after a few days, he started to stink. Because they realized he wasn't the king they thought he was going to be. You know, Jesus rode in to be crowned. But he was crowned just with thorns. Jesus was given a staff. But then they took that staff and they struck him with it. He was clothed not with honor, but with shame. People bowed their knee to him when he came in, but they did so in mockery. His hands were lifted up not to receive the people's praise, but to receive nails as he was nailed to a cross. Jesus was lifted up, but it wasn't on a throne. It was on a rough-hewn cross. His blood was shed, not the blood of an animal, so that there might be a new covenant covenant of peace. Jesus came to be a king, but it wasn't the king any way that anyone wanted or the way that anyone expected. And some may have welcomed his coming, but for others, Jesus was no more than an unwelcome visitor. In fact, even amongst the joyous celebration that day, not everybody welcomed him. Did you hear the, the religious leaders? Luke 19, 39 through 40. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. You see, they understand what Jesus is claiming. And they're like, hey, quiet them down, Jesus. And Jesus answers, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would cry out. You see, Jesus says to the religious leaders, the inanimate creation has a better understanding of what's going on here than you do. The interpretation, you guys are dumber than rocks. 
Jesus rides into Jerusalem as the king who's come to bring peace between heaven and earth. And Jesus says, hey, listen, the creation itself is ready to celebrate my coming because with my coming, not only my redeeming humanity, I'm going to make all things new. And creation celebrates that. It groans and waits for Christ to return that all might be made new. The very stones want to celebrate, and yet you rock-headed, stone-hearted religious leaders resist and reject me. But we should probably not be so fast to condemn them, should we? You know, let's be honest with ourselves. Our hearts can be just as hard, can't they? Just as hard as a rock, and our wills can be just as unyielding as stone sometimes. You know, because the truth is, we all want a Savior, but few of us want a King. Friends, we all want a hero who will save us, but few of us want a king who will rule us. It's easy to celebrate a hero. It's harder when it comes time to submit to a king. And the crowd that day, they were largely ready to visit, to welcome a visit from a savior, a hero, a rescuer from the Roman occupation. But a king? Who's going to rule them? Well, ultimately, that just made Jesus an unwelcome visitor. And friends, many are still hardened today against this idea of Jesus being a king. You know, because frankly, I want what I want when I want it. I want to decide what's right and wrong for myself. I don't want to have any other king, no other authority to tell me otherwise. Or maybe we initially welcome the rule of a king until he starts to stink. Until he becomes an unwelcome intruder. Because what happens when when my submission to this king results in me landing on, according to the world, the wrong side of history? What happens when my submission to this king lands me on the wrong side of the culture? The wrong side of my peers? What about the wrong side of my own wants and desires? We all want a hero who will come in and save us. But few of us want a king who's going to rule us. And Jesus knows that many of those who celebrate that day are ultimately going to reject him as king. They're ultimately going to reject him as an unwelcome visitor. And because of their rejection, in verses 43 and 44, Jesus predicts the coming judgment. And he says at the end of verse 44, something surprising. He says at verse 44, that the judgment's going to come because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know the time of your visitation. Now, the same Greek word is used in 1 Peter chapter 2 to refer to Jesus' second visitation, his return, his second coming. But the same noun is, this noun is episcopae, which is actually where we get our English word episcopal. It means a bishop or bishop. And this exact same word is used surprisingly in 1 Timothy 3.1, where it says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So so what Jesus says is, is that you didn't know your bishop. You didn't know your overseer. You didn't know the one who's been charged and given the authority to care for your souls when he came to visit you. I'm the one. I'm the one who's been charged with the authority and the responsibility to care for you. To be your leader and your king. And I came to visit you and you didn't recognize it. Instead of welcoming my authority and my care, you treated me as an unwelcomed visitor. 
and you did not recognize the time of my visitation. You've rejected my authority, my care. You've rejected your king. And Jesus says, if you refuse to welcome the visit of your king, and if you refuse to submit to his authority, then all that's left is judgment. All that's left is judgment. Now, friends, many today reject and they rail against the idea of judgment for those who treat Jesus as an unwelcome visitor or reject his authority. In fact, you might have heard the news the other week. Um, The Catholic Church issued a statement in support of a thousand years of church doctrine affirming that marriage is, was, and always will be between one man and one woman. And our media reacted with surprise and outrage that the Catholic Church was still Catholic. I mean, could you believe the audacity that they affirmed thousand years of church doctrine, human history, anthropology, and biology? But they did. And CNN's Don Lemon, who is not, to my knowledge, any kind of theologian or scholar, on air said, God is not about hindering people or even judging people. God is not about hindering people or even judging people. You know, there was an article written in response to this in the National Review, and the man who responded said, Now, I'm not a Catholic or a theologian or even a believer, and I don't care what people do in their bedroom. Yet I would vigorously maintain that any religion worth following has a God who judges and hinders his people. Because, friends, what kind of an authority is worth its salt who fails to enforce some morality and execute justice against evil? Reject the rightful authority of any ruler, and the only thing left is justice and judgment. In fact, over 70 times in the Bible, God is called judge. Psalm 50, verse 6, God himself is judge. Isaiah 33, 20, the Lord is our judge. Hebrews 12, 23, and to God, the judge of all. James 4, 12, there's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy. 1 Peter 5, 4, they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Acts 10, 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that it is Jesus who is ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Friends, that's a representative sampling from the Old and the New Testament, from the Law and the Prophets, from the Psalms and the Epistles, from history and poetry. If Jesus is King, He's come with the authority to judge. So to treat the King as an unwelcome visitor is to reject His authority, to refuse to submit to Him, and leave no alternative but judgment. And God is just, and ultimately all rebellion and sin will and must be judged. But friends, hear the Gospel. Hear the gospel. Jesus has come first, not as judge, but as Savior. Jesus visited Jerusalem that Sunday, and he visits you today, not yet as judge, but as Savior. Because we all know the most famous verse in the Bible. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But don't stop reading there. Continue to verses 17 and 18. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Friends, all of us stand under judgment, condemned as rebels against the rightful King, deserving the just sentence of judgment coming against us. But the gospel, the good news is that Christ visited that first Palm Sunday and he visits you today as king, not yet to bring judgment, 
but today to bring salvation. Friends, the gospel is that Christ rode in to visit Jerusalem and he rides in today to visit you, not to condemn, but in order that you might be saved through him. He visits us today as the Savior and King, but Scripture warns that one day Christ will return and he'll visit again. And when when he does, he won't just be king. He'll be king and judge. And at that time, all who persisted in refusing to submit to him, all who treated him as an unwelcome visitor, the only thing that remains is judgment. And friends, judgment, it's a fearful truth. It's a fearful and horrible reality. But let's remember how this message came from Jesus. How does Jesus respond to those who reject him that day? And how does Jesus respond to those who reject him today? Look at verses 41 and 42. And when Jesus drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. Church, note Jesus' heart for those who rejected him. He laments over Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel and representative of all of God's people. And with tears in his eyes, Jesus mourns over her rejection of him. Jesus knows that the religious leaders have rejected him and they're going to lead the others to reject him too. They're going to lead the others to make him an unwelcome visitor and cast him out, not just of Jerusalem, but out of this world. And he weeps. He weeps because the king, the perfect episcopate, the perfect shepherd, the perfect caretaker has visited the city. And in rejecting him, Jesus knows they've rejected peace. Because Jesus has come not to bring judgment, but to bring peace. And the only alternative is judgment. Jesus is the only way to peace with God. To reject him means rejecting the one thing that, remi- the one thing that can save us. If you reject the cure... The only thing that remains for you is sickness and death. And Jesus says, I've come. I am the cure. I am peace. And friends, if you're here today, and if you're trying to find peace apart from God and apart from Jesus, there is no other way. There's no other way to have peace with God than through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King. Welcome this visitor, not just today as Savior, but as King. Not just a hero to save you, but as a King. Submit to Him. Be forgiven your sins and escape the final just judgment that you and I deserve. For if you're here in person and want to know more, talk to me after the service. If you're online, write to me through the church website, chestnutstreetbaptist.org slash contact. Because I would love to talk to anyone here or online that you might know of Christ who has come. He's come now not as judge, but as Savior. But friends, be warned, one day He will return. He will return as judge. And all sin will be judged. But He's come today. He visits us as King and as Savior. And church, the world needs to know. They need to know of Jesus Christ of His coming, and warned of the coming judgment. But friends, as we do so, are we ready to weep as Jesus wept? I told before the story of a small town, when a new preacher came to the town, there was a buzz. Because everybody said, hey, this new preacher that we got, he's so much better than the old preacher. So much better. And so there was a skeptic in town, and he came to one of the deacons of the church, and he said, well, what makes this new preacher... 
so much better than the old preacher. What's the new preacher say? Well, you, no, well, what's the old, what did the old preacher used to say? And the old preacher told us, we're all lost sinners, and unless we repented, we were going to hell, was the answer. And the skeptic said, well, what's the new preacher say? The new preacher tells us we're all lost sinners, and unless we repent, we're going to hell. And the skeptic said, well, I don't see any difference. And the deacon said, oh, there's a big difference. Because this one, when he says it, he says it with tears in his eyes. Church, there is a judgment. There's a judgment that's coming. A judgment in all sin and rebellion against the king. All who continue to hold him at arm's length and treat him as an unwelcomed visitor. But Christ has come first, not as judge, but as Savior. Now is the time. Church, will we weep? Will we go? Will we declare and warn of the coming judgment? Will we speak of the love and mercy of the King who has come to save, not to condemn? And church, how will we respond to those who reject Jesus or who reject us, His followers, as unwelcome visitors? We must warn of the coming judgment on those who continue to treat Christ and hold Him at arm's length as an unwelcome visitor. And how will we do so? Will we get angry? Will we be arrogant? Will we be condescending? Or like Christ, will we weep? Will we weep for them? Church, we must unabashedly warn of judgment, but not with smugness, with sorrow. Not with contempt, but with compassion. Let our proclamation be not terrible, but tearful. And church, let this familiar scene also remind us that every one of us must submit ourselves to the King. Because He is our perfect King, our perfect Episcopal, our caregiver, our overseer. He's come with loving authority to lead and to guide. And to that authority will we submit. And church, are there areas of your life that you still need to submit to Him? That you need to submit to His loving care and His leadership? Because He's come today to bring you peace. And are there areas in your life right now, church, where you're resisting Him? Where you're resisting Him and His peace? Because friends, a visitor has ridden into town. And he's ridden here into your life today. Will he find welcome with you? And will you find peace in Him? Let's pray. Father, we need peace that comes not from our actions, but from the one who has come to bring us peace. And this world needs peace. And Father, we recognize that your Son, Jesus Christ, is the only way to peace. Submit our hearts to him and send us forth to declare this warning this truth, this hope, that in Jesus Christ, there is peace. In Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness. In Jesus Christ, there is life everlasting. Father, submit us to you and send us forth that others might hear and so bow their knee before the King who comes and that they might welcome him as Savior and as Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together in closing as we sing all glory, laud, and honor.